Welcome to episode 102 of the Introvert Entrepreneur Podcast. I'm Beth Bilo, and it's great to be spending this time with you today. Whether this is your first or your 102nd episode, I hope you hear something that will make you smile, spark an insight, improve your business, or maybe even change your life. In true introvert fashion, I'm still reflecting on how I spent my New Year's Eve a few weeks ago. It was remarkable for two reasons. One, I was interviewed by the local Seattle television station, Como 4 News, and loved the opportunity to talk about introverts and my book. I've put a link to this segment in this episode's show notes. Second, New Year's Eve was remarkable because after the interview and an early dinner, my husband and I made our annual pilgrimage to St. Mark's Cathedral to do the Labyrinth Walk. Doing a walking meditation is the perfect way to end the year. There's space to reflect and be in silence with others, which is the antithesis of most New Year's Eve celebrations. To me, it's the perfect introvert New Year's Eve, since you get to be alone but together with others. I'm sure plenty of people go from walking the labyrinth to a party, but for my husband and me, the labyrinth is the party. This year, we were there a little bit earlier than usual, maybe around 6.30, so there were maybe two to three times as many people gathered than we'd experienced in previous years. The large labyrinth that was in the center of the cathedral had too many people on it to walk it comfortably, so I chose to walk a smaller path off to the side, where the path was marked by very convincing fake tea lights. Now, every year, I notice how the labyrinth mirrors the human journey, especially as it pertains to navigating and negotiating with others. It's impossible to walk the labyrinth with others and not intersect and have to almost dance with each other in order to continue on your way. Sometimes when that happens, you get thrown off the path and end up walking in a circle, just like life. But in the end, all roads lead to the center and you can't make a mistake. This year, the center of the path I walked wasn't actually in the literal center, but in the upper corner of that smaller labyrinth walk. As I sat there in silent reflection, I noticed others who reached the corner, but chose to step out of the labyrinth instead of retracing their steps back and exiting where they had previously entered. I have to admit it was tempting. More people had joined, and it was clear that a lot of negotiating and stepping off of the path would have to happen in order for me to go back the way I came. But somehow my mind likened stepping out of the center to easily skipping out on a major part of the journey, and sometimes the hardest part of that journey. So I decided to retrace my steps. I hadn't gone about 10 feet when I heard someone in front of me whisper my name, Beth. It was Piper, a Seattle friend I see once in a blue moon, but who I always experience as lighting up a room with her positive energy. We gave each other a quick hug, and then later, when I found myself derailed and somehow back at that corner center spot, we chatted quietly for a few minutes about our intentions for the new year. I realized that if I had stepped off the path and skipped retracing my steps and that journey back, I might have missed seeing Piper and that would have felt like a loss. When we skip steps or try to take shortcuts, there's always the potential that we will miss meaningful interactions and lessons. It could be as simple as seeing a friend for a few minutes when we didn't expect it, or something as big as meeting your next major client at the event you really felt like blowing off. 
There are definitely times when cutting out or cutting corners is a way to keep things moving forward or getting something done. But the point is, as with so many things, we need to be intentional about when we choose to do that. Know that's what you're doing and why you're doing it. And if you choose to complete the full circuit with no shortcuts, be prepared for the challenges and open to the unexpected that comes your way. Now it's time to get down to today's business. It's my pleasure to welcome Alex Honeyset to the Introvert Entrepreneur Podcast. Alex is a brand and marketing consultant who helps businesses close the gap between how they market to humans and how those humans want to be marketed to. Alex believes the secret to marketing success is not to sell your soul, lose your sense of humor, or shape shift into a corporate marketing robot. It's to create real human relationships with your clients. After spending nearly a decade leading corporate communication strategies for companies including Thomson Reuters and NASDAQ, Alex now helps entrepreneurs and small businesses create foundational brand, messaging, and marketing strategies that leverage all the ways they innately communicate and connect with people and bring those strategies to life. Alex's articles have been featured in The Daily News, Forbes, Inc., Mashable, Time, and others. Hi, Alex. Welcome to the Introvert Entrepreneur Podcast. I have been looking forward to this conversation, so I'm glad you're here. Oh, thank you so much for having me. I'm excited as well. Well, what is making you smile today? Yeah. Ooh, um, that it's Friday. <laughs> That's, <laughs> That's true. Making me smile. Um, and it's just starting to get chilly here in New York. So I've been looking longingly at a big pile of scarves for a few weeks now, and I'm finally going to get bundled up today. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. Time to get cozy. Exactly. Great. Well, I'd like to give listeners a little bit of context to the conversation with regard to where you might fall on the introvert extrovert spectrum. So where do you feel like you are on that spectrum? And how has that awareness influenced you as an entrepreneur? Yeah. So, you know, up until a few years ago, I would say that I actually would have had a really hard time answering this question. Um, you know, probably like some of the folks uh, that are part of this community, I've had points in my life where I felt very introverted, but then also periods in my life where I actually felt quite the opposite. Um, and I'd say in the last few years, I've discovered that I'm slightly more on the introverted side, mm-hmm. um, but that there's still a big chunk of me that is is quite extroverted. And so I would say that, you know, understanding that I get a lot of energy from being around people and brainstorming and that in-person interaction, but that I basically then need to go hermit and kind of be by myself (laughs) for a few days afterwards. Mm -hmm. Um, Now that I understand that that's sort of how I work, I've built my business understanding, you know, that that's the case. So, you know, if I am sort of hitting the ground running and, you know, doing a lot of in-person meetings and workshops for a few days, then I'll make sure that the following three or four days, you know, I have a lot of quiet time and and vice versa. You know, I know that it's really great for me to spend some time tapping into my own creative energy and being by myself, but that, you know, at some point I need to go out and interact with other human beings again. <laughs> so. Yeah, exactly. It's like, it, yeah, because it doesn't matter where we, where we tend to fall. We definitely need the opposite. Exactly. Yeah. yeah, exactly. And it's, you know, it's really influenced my, my client work as well. And this is actually a balance that I've just sort of figured out in the last few weeks, but that, you know, I really, I, I really like to have 
some in-person clients. And then I also really like the opportunity to work with people virtually Mm -hmm. because it sort of plays to both of those strengths. And so I would say that actually my client work very much mimics how introverted and extroverted I consider myself to be. Nice. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Well, I want to hear a little bit more about your, your story um, because your business is focused on supporting entrepreneurs and telling their story, but I want to hear yours because I I read a little bit on your website and it was, I thought it was intriguing. So what led you to take the leap from corporate life to entrepreneurship? Yeah. So um, I worked in corporate PR for about 10 years. I was at places like uh, Reuters, the news agency. I worked at NASDAQ. Um, And I just was finding that, you know, as I was moving from company to company, and really, as I was changing industries, I noticed that no matter where I went, and I was going into these, what felt like very different corporate cultures, environments, team dynamics, etc., that I kept seeing a disconnect in how businesses were communicating and marketing themselves, and how I felt that we as humans want to be communicated and marketed to. And I felt like, you know, once I walked in the door, I felt for myself and also for, you know, my colleagues and team members that what we innately understood about human behavior and communication and connection and all that kind of stuff was was actually sort of sidelined for, you know, sticking with the approved corporate messaging and, um, you know, making sure that we were trying out the new best practices and marketing platforms. And I actually had one of these like, you know, life moments where Mm -hmm. I was, I was writing a press release and it was based on, you know, this approved messaging that had obviously, you know, been through several stakeholders and, and this is what we were going with. And I was basing my press release and I reread a paragraph at the end and I was like, oh my goodness, I don't even understand what this means. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm the one writing it. Yeah. Yeah. And so, you know, a few years later I got introduced to what I like to call the gloriously messy world of entrepreneurship. Um, And it just changed everything. You know, I mean, first of all, there's so much more nimble. You don't have the systems in place, which in a lot of ways, you know, can be hard, but in a lot of ways are so freeing. You know, you don't have to sort of take things through 47 people in order to get them out in the world. It's it's a lot of times just you or a small team. Mm-hmm. But really more than anything, I love that the people that are founding these companies and it's a lot of, you know, it's you and me and, and the people that are listening are so passionate about what they're bringing to life mm-hmm. um, that they're a little bit more willing to let some of those traditional marketing rules go and and really dig into what they truly want to say and and the avenues that really allow them to say that. So that was sort of my evolution. Um, you know, there were a lot of practical things that happened. I had to save up for several years and um, I had to get the courage to actually quit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> it took some time. But yeah, I eventually did it. And I um I left in June. So, you know, I'm mm-hmm. still I'm still technically kind of a newbie, but I spent about two years freelancing on the side. So by the time I left, I really knew that this was going to work. Yeah, that was, I was going to ask you, you know, what choices did you make while you were still employed that you think set you up for success when you finally did make the leap? I would say that my practical kind of planning brain needed a lot of soothing in terms of I did I had a goal that I wanted to reach, you know, financially. Um, and so I made sure that I that I reached that. My husband and I spent a lot of time talking about, you know, where we were going to live and, you know, things like that. And we actually moved to a town that was a little bit more manageable so that if things, you know, were a little funky in the first few months, we would still be fine. Um, 
I did a lot of uh, talking to people about what I was trying to do. And that was really important to me because I wanted to come out of the gate feeling really proud and confident about what I was doing. I didn't want to kind of eke out like, ah, here mm-hmm. I am. I think this is going to be okay. You know, yeah. so I really made the choice to be very upfront about what I plan to do. And then also what I noticed, which was a little bit hard because I'm I, a lot of my messaging is around how, you know, I saw something that was happening in the corporate world and it wasn't really working. But, you know, it was important to me to make the choice to be vocal about that. And and I was and have been. Yeah. Well, yeah. I, I especially appreciate the point about um, talking to people about it. It's like when you're yeah. when you're trying to do something new and it's a big stretch. I think the more people you can talk to, the better. And and it and it's not even people to talk to that can help you or might be prospective clients or right. whatever. It's just the act of saying it helps you to manifest it. Yes. No, that's absolutely, yeah, that's absolutely it. And it's, you know, a lot of it too was not only was there a manifesting part, which I absolutely believe was a, was a huge piece of it, but it's just getting comfortable with it. Mm -hmm. You know, at least from my own experience, I'd spent 10 years doing something. Um, and it wasn't until the last two that I decided I was going to do something totally different. So even though I was really excited about it and, you know, I kind of had a plan in place, it took me saying it about 70 million times before <laughs> I really felt like I was like, okay, we're doing this. Yeah, yeah. And it seems that would keep you, that would ground you, it would make it real, you can own it. And you're probably less likely, not immune, but less likely to feel that sort of imposter syndrome when you actually do make the leap, like, uh oh, people are going to find out I really don't know what I'm doing. Yeah. Um, if, you've, <laughs> if you've been talking about it and saying, I know what I'm doing for, you know, a while, then yeah. that sort of inoculates you a little bit um, it absolutely against does. it. Yeah, yeah, it absolutely does. And I found too, you know, I had I had enough, you know, quote unquote wins at that point in the mm-hmm. sense that I had these freelance clients and I was working with them on different projects and things had been going well. So I really did have the sense that not only did I have to say it a million times and, you know, that made me feel not so much like an imposter, but I was seeing great results. It was yeah. it was working. Um, and And so that was probably the biggest confidence booster of all. Definitely. Awesome. Well, I want to, yeah. sh- I want to shift gears and, and talk about a couple of things that I read on your blog. Sure. And um, in your most recent post, um, at least of this conversation, you talked about something that's near and dear to my heart, which is simplification. Yeah. It's so, so important hard. for introvert entrepreneurs to embrace it, at least in my experience and in working with my clients. And one of my favorite quotes that anyone who's listened to this podcast for a while has probably heard more than once is a confused mind always says no. I wish I knew who said it. I can never tra- I haven't been able to track down the source. So if anybody listening knows, I would love to know. But what's your best advice for avoiding confusion in our own minds and in the minds of our clients and customers? Yeah, absolutely. So I think there are a few things here. And I actually think the strategy is the same for avoiding confusion with ourselves and then also with the people that we want to work with. I would say that first of all, I really can't stress enough how important it is to be clear about who you want to get in front of as an entrepreneur, who you want to work with, and what you want to tell those people before you do anything. And this is the piece that, you know, when I work with people, they're always like, oh, come on, you know, I've filled out like 20 client archetypes, I've done client avatars all over the place, I'm so over this. And I understand, Mm -hmm. but I really think that there's a difference between knowing what brand of cereal or what magazine or what favorite TV show the people that you want to work with, like, buy, pay attention to, and 
really have a sense of, you know, the things that weigh on their hearts, the things that keep them up at night, um, what makes them come alive and, and how you fit into that equation for them. And that's really the piece that I think is missing. I think a lot of people skim over the ideal client part and mm -hmm. sort of throw some demographics at it and kind of move on. Mm -hmm. um, and I think this is the place that we really want to spend the most time first. Um, because when you know who you're talking to as, as a complete whole human being, everything that follows, what you're saying to them and where you're saying those things becomes crystal clear. Right. You know, it's when we're not sure in the beginning that we're sort of throwing things at the wall and trying to see what sticks. So the first part is definitely figuring out who that person is. And then, like I said, once you have a real sense of that, figuring out what it is exactly that you want to tell them. And here is where I always encourage people to sort of, you know, draft after draft after draft, kind of work through the potential sort of jargony, overworked, messaging-y things that might come out when you're trying to say this. Mm -hmm. That is so natural. Um, it happens to all of us. It's a little bit like how we're conditioned when we're, you know, trying to write our own messaging and marketing. And also, you know, we want to sound professional. We want to sound like we know what we're doing. And I think that, you know, you'll probably try talking about what you're doing a few times um, and it's going to come out feeling a little off. So my suggestion is to always kind of push through that. And, and what you're going to end up with is going to be, you know, the thing that will ring the most true for these people that you've identified. So I would say that's really like the first half. And mm -hmm. then um, the second thing I think is really important once you've figured out how to do that is to make sure that you're consistent. And, you know, I think there's absolutely a balance to strike here. You know, I, I don't suggest that you sort of draft your three sentence elevator pitch and then, you know, only say that and <laughs> only have that on your website. And mm -hmm. only. But on the other hand, I think that one of the issues I see a lot of times is people sort of talking about what they do and who they're trying to work with and why they're doing it in a lot of different ways. And so the person on the other end of that feels like, okay, I think she kind of does some social media stuff, but mm -hmm. maybe it's only in workshops and not only are you causing confusion, both for yourself and for the person on the other end, but you're also disengaging them because you're making them do the work for you. Yes. You know? <laughs> yep. You yeah. want to make it as easy as possible for them to be able to follow you away and go, okay, that's a person I want to pay attention to when these three things are happening to me or when I need these four pieces of advice. Like, that's where I'm going to go. Boom. Yeah. Yeah. You want to make it that easy. Yeah. So I've encountered introvert entrepreneurs, particularly who get kind of caught up in that process. So you said there are some people that are like, Oh, I've done this, you know, so many avatars, I'm over it. Yeah. And, and there are others, though, that will be like, Okay, I, I still haven't hit it, I need to do like 10 more. And yes. I need to keep working and refining my message kind of, you know, what, what about those folks, you know, who kind of get stuck in that cycle, and at some point, you know, need to sort of break that perfectionistic tendency yeah. and just get it out there. Yeah, I would say, you know, my advice with that is always that's when you call in the troops. I think that's when <laughs> yeah. you that's when, you know, you either bring on somebody who, you know, can help you with the messaging. That's that's when you bring in, you know, a trusted mentor. That's when you bring in one or two people that you think really understand what you're trying to do. And you talk to them about some of the messaging that, you know, is feeling really good, what's not feeling great. 
I would say that, you know, again, there's a balance to strike. I would say that your messaging is always going to evolve as you evolve um, as an entrepreneur and as you grow your business. But I think the, the core of it should always really stay the same. So what we're looking for when we're looking to understand who it is exactly that we want to work with and what it is that we want to tell them is those sort of core pieces of messaging. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I really think at that point, yeah, you'll just drive yourself insane. And and full transparency, you know, I did this with myself. And I kept thinking, <laughs> I this is this is what I do. I mean, right. <laughs> I having this problem too. Yeah. But I really was having I was having a hard time. So that's what I did. I called in uh, I called in a mentor and two trusted uh, sort of friends slash other marketing professionals. And, and that's how we finally got there in the end. <laughs> yeah, that's a, and that's a great reminder for introverts because I think we can, I, I don't know about you, but I can forget yeah. that, oh yeah, I could talk to somebody about this. <laughs> yes, I don't exactly. have to just keep turning it over in my head. It's not something I have to figure out all by myself. Exactly. Yeah. And the, there's, there is one last thing I would, I would love to sort of offer up some advice around here too, because it, it's a tricky area when we feel so passionate about our businesses and about the ways that we want to talk about them. I would say that if you do decide to call in the troops and ask for help, be very specific around what you need help around. Yes. Right? Because some yes. people can come in and go like, hey, I don't think this works at all. And you're like, whoa, that's, mm-hmm. exactly. that's not helpful to me right now. Yep. Um, so yes, just being very specific about the help you need. Yes. And I would say that's true for any aspect of your business when you're getting feedback. You know, if you want someone to watch a, a speech you're about to give or look at your website, yes. you don't want somebody to say, oh, what are you, you know, these colors? I don't know about these colors. And exactly. Like, and, and I think that we can save ourselves a lot of frustration and make it easier to reach out to people when we are specific about what we want. So I'm so glad you brought that up. Yeah. So you also work with clients on the art of the pitch. Yes. And while introverts might enjoy silence, we don't welcome the silent treatment when it comes to <laughs> pitching something and not hearing back because that can yes. be discouraging. Um, and there are, of course, lots of reasons why, you know, the silent treatment could happen. So could you share with us what, in your experience, are the biggest mistakes that entrepreneurs make with their pitches? And what are some easy ways we can fix them? The first one here is, and it's, I mean, it sounds so simple, but it's the one I see most often is making it too long. I think that the the tendency is to want to say everything, you know, here's why my business is amazing. Here's why this product is amazing. Mm-hmm. Here's why I'm amazing. You know, <laughs> don't worry about my competitors. I'm going to talk about two or, you know, trying to kind of stuff everything in there. The point of the pitch is to get people really excited um, about whatever it is that you are pitching. You don't need to include every single piece of information you have about it. So I think it's being really disciplined. And when I say too long, I usually shoot for a, you know, half a page to three quarters of a page, maybe. But if you're three quarters of a paging it, that can't be like one run on sentence. That needs to be, <laughs> you know, a few sentence paragraphs and lots of space marks. So those are the parameters I give in terms of um, how long it should be. Um, the other mistake that I tend to see a lot of times, probably if the other one was the most frequent, this is the one that I think will get you the quickest no off the bat. And that's mm-hmm. when entrepreneurs make the pitches all about themselves. So, you know, if I'm pitching myself for a speaking opportunity, let's say, and, you know, I'm giving you a little bit of information about the topic, but then I launch into this is going to be so great for my business. I'm Mm. trying really hard to tap into this audience. I, 
you know, haven't secured a speaking opportunity yet. And this would give me great practice. (laughs) Oh, boy. (laughs) That's some of the stuff that, that, you know, I've seen people stick in there. And, you know, what happens there is obvious reasons. If you're sitting on the other end of that, you sort of feel like, okay, but I like, I need you to help me, you know, Mm -hmm. I, I, and, and yes, if I can help you on the other end, fantastic. But the pitch always needs to be focused on how you can meet the needs of that other person. So for example, if we're talking about this speaking opportunity, think about this people organizing it. They obviously want to be able to, you know, have a full roster. So that's one of the things at top of mind. They probably want a really diverse group of people. Mm -hmm. So if you have a really interesting angle on a topic that you think would be of interest, if you have have an experience around a topic that you think, you know, hasn't been explored or doesn't seem like it would be explored, those are the things that you really want to emphasize unless that, you know, your mom's going to be super proud of you or (laughs) whatever it may be. You mean that doesn't persuade them to uh, hire you? (laughs) So that would be the second. And then um, the last one that I would say is making sure that you're sending it to the right person. And this was really, this was a mistake that I used to make a lot of times when I had first started out in PR. Let's say you're pitching, um, let's say you want a guest blog for an outlet, for example, and you think, all right, I came across, you know, uh, an associate editor, I guess I'll just send it to them. Mm-hmm. Um, if they're not the people who are looking after that, there is a very small chance that they're actually going to send it off to the right person. You know, you really want to make sure that you are tailoring your email to the person that you're writing it to and that you are getting it in front of the person who is in charge of whatever it is that you're trying to do. How do you find out who that is if it's not obvious? Yes, exactly. I knew you were going to ask that because everybody <laughs> always does. They're like, okay, great. Is that Google? <laughs> right, right. It's like I already Googled it and I can't yes. find it. Yes, this is one of the more difficult things. You know, if you don't obviously have the resources for a PR database or something like that. Um, and I would say that there are actually a few out there that are a little bit more stripped down and can be semi-affordable if, you know, you're doing a ton of media pitching. Um, but I would say for the rest of us who don't use them, and I don't even use one, my few secrets are obviously Google first. And what, you're, what you want to Google first is the actual person who is covering what you're covering. Mm-hmm. So let's say I wanted to pitch a story about me speaking at a marketing event, and I wanted to pitch that story to Mashable, then I would be looking at Mashable's website, and I would be trying to figure out which reporters cover marketing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. cover conferences in the area, cover, you know, a few a few of the different angles that I would be pitching them. So that's number one. Second step is to Google their email address. Sometimes you'll find it's really like outlet by outlet. Um, some outlets are great and they post it everywhere. And if that's the case, then, you know, it's your lucky day and you're done. If that's not the case, then what I have found actually works is a lot of reporters respond on Twitter for yes. anybody that has Twitter. Yeah. Um, if you tweet at them with, you know, again, condensing that pitch into 140 characters, and that's a whole other podcast, but mm-hmm. um, <laughs> figuring out how to do that, if if you tweet them, that's definitely a great way to get in touch. And I know, for example, BuzzFeed, you know, they don't have contact details for any of their PR team. They just have uh, their, um, their Twitter username. handles. Yeah, Twitter handles. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. So So, um, let me ask you, let me interject real quick and ask you this. So on Twitter now, they don't restrict the the private messages to 140 characters anymore. 
What is your feeling about the etiquette of tweeting and saying, hey, I've got something of interest for you. I've messaged you. And then putting your pitch in that message. Is that a do or a don't or somewhere in between? No, I think it's absolutely I think that's absolutely great. I would just say that same sort of rules apply for the pitch itself, which is to just keep that private message sort of, you know, within half a page to three quarters or, you know, because it's on Twitter, maybe even a little shorter. Yeah. Um, But I absolutely think that that's a great way to get in touch with them. And then that way, you know, it's not sort of like, hey, are you interested? And you're having this very public conversation Mm -hmm. about it. Um, You can you can basically whet their appetite publicly and then be able to follow up and quickly give them more information about what you're doing. So that's absolutely a way to do it. Yeah. Great. The other last little secret that I have around this is you'll find that a lot of different outlets have formulas for their emails. Mm -hmm. So sometimes it's like first dot last name at, you know, mashable.com or Mm -hmm. first initial last name. So um, if you really, really, really are struggling, sometimes cracking the code on what that actual (laughs) formula is and then sticking in the person's name can uh, can sometimes do the trick. Awesome. Yeah. yeah. I, I think I've done that before. And yeah, and yeah, you'll, you'll learn pretty quickly, actually. And, you know, it'll bounce if it's not correct. And yeah, and if it's exactly. if it's there, then, you know, hopefully you'll get through. So thank you for that. Mm-hmm. So just in closing for this part of our conversation, I would love to hear like your best bottom line introvert friendly advice for an entrepreneur who wants to raise the visibility of his or her business. Yeah, absolutely. So my suggestion is to really understand all of the different visibility platforms and avenues that are available to you. And this is everything from guest blogging, you know, podcast interviews, email marketing, social media. It's all things that you guys will have heard about and are probably using in to some degree. But I think it's important to understand the landscape before you start jumping into anything. Um, because once you understand the landscape, then you can really understand which platforms make you the most comfortable and play to your strengths the best. Mm-hmm. And what I've found is that, you know, in working with my clients, a lot of times I come in at a foundational level, but a lot of times I come into course correct. And when I'm brought into course correct, it's it's most often because they've chosen platforms that, you know, they read about, um, mm-hmm. have heard everybody going crazy over like Snapchat, you know, Blab, like Periscope, yes, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> actually don't not only sometimes it could it could seem on paper to make sense for your business but it doesn't make sense for you and if you are the if you are the helm of your business you know and you're the one who's actually doing the communicating and the marketing it needs to make sense for you so maybe this community not everybody's going to want to stand up and talk in front of 200 people and that is absolutely fine because there's so many different ways to introduce your brand to the world mm-hmm. maybe instead you know something like a facebook group could be really exciting and interesting for you guys um so I think it's really, like I said, getting to understand all the possibilities that are out there and then getting very clear about where you feel like you fit into the mix and you can kind of have your voice heard in the way that you want it to. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Nice. Thank you for that. Yeah. Well, um, you've shared some awesome information here and I hope everyone, um, you know, please visit the show notes if you want to capture some of the main points of what we've talked about here and, um, and certainly visit Alex's website, which we'll share in just a moment. But um, before we do that, I want to ask you a question that I ask all of my guests. Yes. <laughs> it's Introvert Island. So you are granted a three week vacation on Introvert Island and you can only take three books with you. What would you take with yeah. you and why? 
Ooh, enter Rhode Island sounds nice right now. Yeah, um, just- <laughs> Um, so the first book I would take is, uh, Cheryl Strayed's Tiny Beautiful Things. Mm. I don't know if, um, you've read it or if you guys out there have heard of it. She wrote Wild, but before she wrote Wild, she was Dear Sugar. She was an advice columnist at the Rumpus. And so Tiny Beautiful Things is a collection of her best advice columns. And it's like, it's like, I mean, this thing is like in tatters. (laughs) (laughs) Awesome. Yeah. Um, so I would take that. I would take Anne Lamont's Bird by Bird. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've read that a million times, and that's also in tatters. And what I love about that, too, especially uh, for, you know, the people interested in marketing, getting yourselves out there is that even even though it's a writing book, there's so many great nuggets of advice for really just being confident enough to sort of introduce who you are and what you want to say. Mm-hmm. So I would take that. Um And then, you know, I have a whole shelf of marketing books and I sort of fall in and out of love with them, you know, on a daily basis. Um, So I guess I would bring the one that I'm reading right now, which I'm very much in love with. Um, It's a book called Brains on Fire Mm -hmm. and it's all about igniting word of mouth movements. And I I opened the cover when I first started reading it a few weeks ago and the the headline was, it's about people, stupid. And I was like, (laughs) oh my God, that's what I've been trying to say. Yeah. Who, who's the author of that one? Oh, there's um, several of them. Ah, uh, okay. Grab, I have it in front of me. Here it is. It's Robin Phillips, Greg Cordell, Gino Church, and Spike Jones. Awesome. Wow. What a group. <laughs> cool. And it must be, it's a fairly recent book. Yeah. It looks like it's come out in the in the last few years. Um, but they actually have, so Brains on Fire is the name of the book, but they actually have an organization called Brains mm-hmm. on Fire as well. Mm-hmm. Cool. All right. I love it. Well, Alex, what is the best way for people to connect with you and learn more about you and your services? Yeah. I mean, um, you know, I would love, honestly, to email me if you guys have questions, you know, you're interested in potentially working together, you just want to kind of chat about some of this stuff more. Um, My email is alex at alexhoneyset.com. And that's A-L-E-X-H-O-N-E-Y-S-E-T-T.com. Mm-hmm. And yeah, if you if you want to head over to the website, in the contact section, I have my email as well. And then also links to where you can find me on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram. And then if you guys are interested, every two weeks, I pull together my favorite podcasts, articles, um, videos, etc., and I send them out. Um, and, you know, most of them are really focused on sort of the intersection of human behavior and marketing. So if that's of interest to any of you guys, um, you can get that by signing up for my newsletter, which is right on the homepage of my website. Great. So, great. Yeah. Well, thank you. Thank you so much, Alex. It's been a lot of fun chatting with you. And um, and I'm, I'm going to have to go out and get that brains on fire. So yeah. <laughs> that sounds so interesting. So thank you for everything that you've shared and uh, and for your wisdom. Oh, thank you so much for having me. This is really fun. A quick reminder that you'll find highlights from this fabulous conversation, as well as links to the resources that we mentioned in the podcast show notes at theintrovertentrepreneur.com. You'll also find information about other services that I offer, including one-on-one coaching, my speaking engagements, and strategy sessions for entrepreneurs. It's really easy to schedule a time to chat with me, and you can do that through the online calendar, or you can complete a contact form. Either way, I would be delighted to hear from you. 
A very special thank you to my podcast producer, Paul Messing, and my assistant, Naja, for preparing the podcast show notes. If you enjoy this show, I invite you to take a few moments to share your thoughts in an iTunes review. Reviews are critical to helping the podcast to grow and reach more people, so your support is deeply appreciated. This is Beth Bilo of The Introvert Entrepreneur, and until we meet again, remember that success is an inside job.